Well, good morning, City Light. Man, you guys, I love it. It's 8 o'clock. It's like Time Change Sunday, and you're alive. This is so good. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, my name's Doug, and I'll start with a question this morning. Do you like questions? <laughs> Right? Uh, my wife and I, we have five children, and we love them so much. We love getting to hang out with them, love getting to raise them, and part of having five kids is you get lots of questions. So many different questions. Parents, you know how it goes. Age two or three rolls around, and with it comes all the questions. Like last Sunday, Josiah and I, we were chilling on the couch watching soccer, and he said, Dad, why is that guy wearing a purple shirt? Well, buddy, he's the goalkeeper. He tries to keep the ball out of the goal. Dad, why are they trying to kick the ball in the goal? Well, that's just kind of how the game goes, son. That's how they get their points. Dad, why are the other guys wearing green shirts? And on and on it goes. Parents, you know how it is. Kids have their questions, and they have their classic questions, right? Like, why is the sky blue? Why can't I have more candy? Why do fish swim? When are we going to get there? How long until we get there? So many questions. And it's not just children who have questions. We all do. In fact, Google gets 5.4 billion searches every day. Over 8 million of those are brand new, never been asked before searches. And the average American asks Google three to four questions every single day. We're a curious bunch of people with lots of questions. Well, back in Jesus' day, people had just as many questions, but they didn't have Google. So they would take their questions to these super smart religious leaders called rabbis, who were supposed to be experts in life and God and all that stuff. They would say, Rabbi, what is the meaning of life? Hey, Rabbi, this just happened. What should I do? Rabbi, who do I vote for? Like, can I do that? What about this? Rabbi, can God make a rock that's too big for God to move? Lots of different questions. And Jesus himself, he was a rabbi, so people would come to him with their questions about life, God, all that stuff. And this morning, we're starting a new series of messages that's simply called Questions for Jesus. We're still in the gospel of Matthew. It's just in that gospel, it kind of takes a turn and people start asking Jesus more and more questions. So let's look at the first one this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 11 or open up your Bible app, go to Matthew chapter 11. This morning, we're looking at a question for Jesus from his cousin. One of Jesus' most faithful, devoted followers, this guy who was respected and revered and regarded all throughout the Bible, his name is John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And his question for Jesus is this, Jesus, when will justice come? When will justice come? And I think all of us, whether it's in big or little ways, we've asked this question. Jesus, I've been wronged. When will you make it right? Jesus, I've been hurt. When will you heal me? Jesus, what they did was wrong. When will you judge them? Whether it is personal uh, pain or we've seen a national tragedy, whether it was systemic racism or just personal prejudice, whether it is a lie against you that ruined your career or it was just truth that came with blunt force, whether it was a drunk driver or social media bullying, we've all been wronged in some 
come when? So we've all asked the question, Jesus, when will justice come? Well, let's pick up the story in Matthew 11 and see how Jesus handles this, beginning in verse 2. It says, now when John, that's John the baptizer, this godly man who courageously would call people to repentance. Now when John heard in prison, so John was a godly man. He took a stand for Jesus. He took a stand against sin and it landed him in prison. John has been wronged. So when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, all these awesome miracles Jesus has been doing, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, here's John's question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And you might be thinking, um, Doug, it sure looks like John's question for Jesus is, are you the one? But you just said his question is, Jesus, when will you bring justice? Let me explain. When John asked the question, are you the one? He's referring back to this long line of Bible passages and predictions about the one. This Messiah who would come and restore all things. He would fix all that's wrong and he was supposed to bring justice. Now, in some ways, it's strange, it's even shocking that John would be asking this question. Because back in Matthew chapter 3, John was the one who baptized Jesus. John got to see the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and land on Jesus. John got to hear God say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Even when Jesus was just standing in line, waiting to get baptized at the river where John was dunking everybody in the water, John looked out and he pointed at Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it seems like John knows who Jesus is. It seems like John has had some pretty powerful experiences that confirm to him, yeah, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. So Why then is John asking the question now, are you the one? Here's why. John the baptizer, along with all the Jewish people in that time, they were waiting for this one to come, and he was going to fix all that was wrong. And among the things that were wrong, first and foremost, were the nasty Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people at the time. Those terrible heathens who would uh, make fun of them and ridicule them and persecute them, who would just use them for their money and treat them like dogs. The one, he was supposed to come and bring justice to these Romans to rise up against them and overthrow their regime and restore Israel to its rightful place as God's powerful people. That's what the one was supposed to do. But now Jesus is here and it seems like some cool stuff is happening, but John is still stuck in prison and Jesus hasn't come and broke open the uh, doors and got him out of prison. Jesus hasn't put together his army, his militia, to rise up against the Romans and overthrow them. And so John's asking, Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In other words, Jesus, when will you bring justice? When will justice come? And most of us, we haven't done prison time because we took a stand for Jesus. Most of us haven't been put behind bars because we took a stand against sin. But we may have been pushed out of the group. We may have been laughed at. 
ostracized, left off the invitation list. And even beyond injustice because of our faith, so many of us, we've suffered in real ways. We've suffered abuse, whether emotional or physical, sexual or verbal. 30% of women are domestically abused in their life. One in four women and one in six men are victims of sexual abuse. Nearly 40% of teenagers report being bullied online and social media. And 87% of them say they've seen it even if it didn't happen to them. Now, with statistics like that, I know they're not just statistics for us. We have real incidents in our minds, real times when we've been hurt, we've been bullied, we've been abused, and we know that it's wrong. It is unjust. It is sin. What happened to us, what is happening to others, it's wrong, just like John shouldn't be in prison. We know it's wrong, and so we ask the question, Jesus, aren't you going to do something about this? Jesus, aren't you going to fix what's wrong here? Jesus, when will you bring justice? Look at verse 4. Jesus answers this way. Verse 4, and Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What Jesus is doing here is he's referring back to this line of Bible passages and predictions about himself. And while John was in prison, thinking about all those Bible passages and predictions that are about justice and the bad guys getting what's coming for them, Jesus sends word back to him with all the Bible passages that are about mercy and God giving mercy to the hurting and the poor. To paraphrase Jesus here, it's like he's saying, John, take heart. The blind can see, the lame can walk, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. John, while you're thinking about justice, I'm out here bringing mercy. So when John asked Jesus, when will justice come? Jesus' first response is this. My mission brings mercy first. Jesus' mission brings mercy first. Mercy is not getting what we actually deserve. And when we've done wrong, like when we're the wrongdoers, mercy is wonderful. It's like if one of our kids disobeys, they take an extra candy bar or they play their video games longer than we told them they're allowed to, and then they get caught and we realize it. When we say to them, I'm not going to discipline you for that, that's mercy. The kid didn't get what she deserved. Or when you get pulled over because you're speeding, right? Like you just got into the music a little too much. All of a sudden there's some sirens and you got to pull over. But you're like, I'm going to put on my best behavior. You smile really big. You use your manners. And the police officer says, I'm just going to give you a warning this time. That's mercy. An expression of forgiveness in a courtroom. A, a generous gift that you didn't earn. Um, uh, a spouse giving you a hug right after you were rude. That's mercy. And mercy is wonderful when you're the one who's done wrong. 
But when you've been wronged, like when you're John sitting in prison or when you're the one who's been sinned against, showing mercy can be a hard pill to swallow. Do you remember the first time when you had to swallow a huge pill? My, my parents called them horse pills, and I still remember the first time I had to swallow one of those nasty things. Uh, they said, they gave me the pill, and they said, you got to swallow this. And at first, I just refused. I argued with them, trying to get them to back away, but no, they said, you have to do this. So then I did this thing where I got like a huge glass of water, put the pill in my mouth, and I pretended like I was trying my best to swallow the pill. And then I turned to them with tears in my eyes. I said, I can't, mom and dad. And they saw right through me and they said, how about you keep on trying, buddy? So I keep on trying. And then I actually, I was, I was trying, but it wouldn't go down. My mouth was oddly dry, even though I was gulping down the water. And it seemed like the pill just got bigger and bigger until eventually I felt it scrape the back of my mouth, go down my throat and land in my stomach with a thud like a big boulder. And I was like, yuck, why did I have to do that? When we've been wronged, when we've been sinned against, showing mercy can feel like a hard pill to swallow. Getting justice is like sweet candy, but showing mercy can be a horse pill to swallow. And so I wonder for you, when you think about how you've been wronged, how you've been sinned against, what, it would, what would it look like for you to show mercy? Like when someone bumps up against us in life, they, they mistreat us, they lie to us, they break our trust, and we know we've been wronged. What would it be like for us to say, Jesus, I trust you with this, even when we already know that he says, my mission brings mercy first? What if we gave that over to him? What if we entrusted him with that? What would it feel like to show mercy? I don't know about you, but to me, it doesn't feel good. It, it just doesn't feel right. It feels too nice, too kind, too merciful. Why? Because my need, my desire for justice is so strong. Like when I've done wrong, mercy makes complete sense. But when I've been wronged, mercy just doesn't quite add up. And yet here's Jesus saying to one of his most faithful and courageous followers while he sits rotting in a prison cell at the hands of some fickle, evil, adulterous rulers, Jesus says to him, John, my mission brings mercy first. Jesus, when will you bring justice? He says it's mercy first. But that's only the first part of his answer, right? There's a whole nother section for us to look at. Let's pick it up in verse seven. In verse seven, Jesus says this, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So John's disciples have left. Now Jesus is talking to the crowd still there with him. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see, right? John was always out in the wilderness. He's going, hey, why did you go out there looking for John? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? And the implied answer is no. John, John was a mighty man of faith. 
A man dressed in soft clothing? And again, the implied answer is no. I mean, John wore rough clothing. He was like a man's man, a man of grit. Skip down to verse 9. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. And Jesus goes on from there, and for the next few verses, he's advocating for John. He's commending John. So in this moment, Jesus doesn't deliver justice for John in prison, but he does stand up for John. He takes a stand for John, and Jesus goes on, and for many verses, he keeps advocating for John, even to the point of saying that John was this alert. John was like an alarm clock telling everybody about the impending justice of God, the judgment of God. Look at verse 22. After Jesus goes on for a while, he says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of what, church? Judgment. For Tyre and Sidon than for you. Skip down to verse 24. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of what? Judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus' mission brings mercy first, right? He's out there healing people. The blind can see. The dead are raised up. His mission brings mercy first, but make no mistake, Jesus' mission brings justice too. It may not have come yet. It may not have come at the time we preferred but he will bring it. Jesus' mission is mercy first, but justice too. Growing up, I was the younger brother. It was just me and my older brother. And my, my big brother, he was pretty cool. He was usually a fairly nice guy, but he was also like, a big brother, and he did big brother things. He would pick on me or make fun of me or steal my toys. You know what big brothers do. And sometimes we'd be home and mom would just get so tired of it. And she'd say, that's enough. Just wait until your dad gets home to my brother. And I knew when mom said that, mom might be merciful in that moment. But I also knew when dad got home, he was bringing justice with him right? I, I mean, I might have been made fun of. I may have had to go without my toy for a little while, may have got my feelings hurt. I may have been mad because justice got delayed, but I also knew when dad got home, he was bringing justice with him. City Light, hear this. For all of you who have suffered, Jesus will not forget. He will most assuredly bring justice. The Bible says in Romans 12, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Every sin will be dealt with, every wrong will be righted, and every evil will be banished. On his first trip, Jesus came with mercy. Mercy galore for the hurting, for the lame, for the blind, for the poor. He came with abundant mercy. Mercy for the rich and for the wretched, for the sinner and the tax collector, for the Jew and for the Gentile, for you and for me. But when he was here on his first trip, Jesus promised a second trip, a return coming. And when Jesus comes on that trip, he will come as the judge. The sentence will be delivered. Justice will be served and no one will even have the opportunity to argue with them. Every single injustice from the worst one ever in history all the way down to the most personal and private injustice against you will be dealt with. Every sin and every sinner. Jesus' first mission, it brought mercy, but Jesus is coming back again and he will bring justice. Take heart. Jesus' mission brought mercy, but he will bring justice. 
But let's be honest. We live in the in-between, don't we? In between the injustice committed against us and the time when justice will be served. In between, in between the crime and the punishment. In between the hurt and the healing. So since we live in the in-between, let me just highlight what Jesus himself said in between. Look in your Bibles at Matthew 11, verse 6. In between talking about his first mission of mercy and talking about his second mission of justice, Jesus says this, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When we've been wronged and Jesus doesn't swiftly come in and fix it, we can be offended at Jesus. When we look at our world and we see evil everywhere, sin is rising, racism is abundant, and injustice is advancing, when we see that around us, we can get offended at Jesus. Why? Because isn't he the one who is to come? Isn't he the one who can actually do something about this? Isn't he the one who can actually change it? Why isn't he? I mean, what's he doing up there in heaven? Playing bingo or something? Jesus, when will justice come? We live in the in-between and we can get offended at Jesus. So let me just offer three practical responses for living in the in-between. And let me encourage you with this. As you hear these, if you're in the in-between, I want you to just grab hold of one of these. As I share them, you pray and you ask God, which one of these do I need to take hold of this morning? Three ways to live in the in-between. First one is this. Pray for the power to show mercy. Pray for the power to show mercy. Just like Jesus came and he showed mercy. Even when there was oppression all around him, he was still healing. He was still giving sight to the blind. He was still raising the dead up. Even when the oppression hadn't left yet, he was showing mercy. So pray for the power to show mercy. When they deserve the cold shoulder, pray for the power to give warmth. When they deserve the silent treatment, pray for the power to speak words of life. When they deserve what's coming for them, Pray for the grace to give what we've got, mercy. But let me be clear here. This is so important. When it comes to showing mercy, if you're in an abusive relationship, showing mercy does not mean staying in that relationship. Showing mercy doesn't mean you, you gotta stay in there. Or if you've been in an abusive relationship in the past, showing mercy doesn't mean you have to go back to that relationship. Certainly not. For you, showing mercy means you stay away from that relationship in a safe place and you take your pain, you take your hurt to Jesus and say, can you heal me? For you, even showing mercy might mean you get in a safe community and you call the police to report a crime so that you and others can stay safe. Showing mercy does not mean permitting abuse. I just want to be clear on that in case anybody's in that situation. You can, you should, and we want to help you get to safety. First response when we're living in the in-between is pray for the power to show mercy. Second response is this. Seek justice with great humility. Seek justice with great humility. Some of us have been called to seek justice in the in-between. 
a, a little lesson from history. Back on March 2nd, 1911, okay, over a century ago, there was a tragedy in the, on the eighth floor of a building in the garment district of New York City. Back then, the working conditions were terrible, just uh, horrifically unjust. One of the workers on the eighth floor, they threw their cigarette down on the floor, and it started a fire. But because of the unjust working conditions, most people weren't able to get out. Even when the fire had started, the manager didn't permit most of his employees to leave. And then once he did, the exits were so small, the hallways were so tiny, that a lot of people weren't able to get out. So because of the unjust working conditions, 146 people died that day in the fire. All of them could have been saved if it wasn't for the injustice of the working conditions. Right across that street that morning was a young lady who was getting coffee with one of her friends. She heard the commotion, she went outside, and she witnessed this injustice. Her name was Frances Perkins. Frances Perkins went on to fight for fair working conditions for poor and migrant workers. She got the legal work week lowered down to 52 hours. She went on to become the first female uh, industrial commissioner for New York City, and she became the secretary of labor for our nation. Frances Perkins, whenever she writes, she always looks back at the day of the fire as the turning point in her life. Why? because she saw injustice and decided to do something about it. Some of you, when we live in the in-between, you see injustice and God is calling you to do something about it. He's inviting you to not just see it, not just get through it, but he's inviting you to do something about it. And I believe Jesus is honored by that. As you seek justice with great humility, with great wisdom, Jesus is honored by that. In fact, let me give you a Bible verse to bolster you as you pursue this. Matthew 11, verse 11. This is what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, okay, as you seek justice, this is what Jesus says to you. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's some high praise coming from Jesus. He continues, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know what that means? That means that you matter. That means that you have a role to play. You have a way to serve. You can make a difference. So in the in-between, seek justice with great humility and great wisdom. Third way that we can live in the in-between is this. Look to the cross. Look to the cross of Jesus where Jesus himself suffered injustice. It's at the cross where we all realize that we've all sinned. Like when it comes to our relationship with God, our sin deserves judgment. We all deserve justice, not mercy. And I get that I've, I've been sinned against and I have suffered at the hands of others, but in my most honest moments, I also know that I have sinned and others have suffered because of me, most notably Jesus the Christ on the cross. It was my sin that put him there, and my sin and your sin deserves justice. But when I look to the Christ on the cross, when I give my sin over to him and I trust the Christ on the cross, what do I get? Mercy. 
He gives me mercy. His mission to me brings mercy first. I get the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. When I look to, when I trust the Christ on the cross, I get mercy. And what did he get? Justice. The justice that my sin deserved and my sin deserves, it fell on Jesus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was the judge, the jury, and the executed. Every last one of my sins, past, present, and future, fell on him. So I got to walk away with mercy while he hung there for justice. So when, when I look at the wrongs done against me and the sins committed against me, yes, showing mercy can be a hard pill to swallow. I can get offended at Jesus. But when I look to Jesus, like when I fix my eyes, when I fix my gaze on Jesus, I can't help but say, thank you, God, that your mission through Jesus brings mercy first. I need that mercy. Thank you, God, that your mission through Jesus, it brings justice to Jesus. I praise you because you took my justice. And in the end, the best answer to a difficult question is the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when will you bring justice? He replies, it's mercy first, but justice too. Would you pray with me? Father God, I ask right now that you would give all of us a reminder of the cross. By your grace, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, would you just place us even now at the foot of the cross, able to see Jesus, behold him there, the lamb slain for our sins. And would you well up in us this this overwhelming gratitude for mercy. You didn't give us what we deserve. When our sin deserved punishment, when our sin deserved hell, when our sin deserved being pushed out, turned away, you didn't give it to us. You gave us mercy instead. And you gave him justice. It's the great exchange, the exchange none of us deserve, but we all say thank you for it. Jesus, thank you for the mercy in Jesus, and thank you that Jesus took our justice. Right now, I pray for my friends in the room. I pray for myself that you would give us the power to show mercy. When we've been wronged, when we've been sinned against, would you give us the grace to show mercy? To entrust it to you and say, Jesus, that's in your hands. I'll leave it to you, and I'll trust you to deal with it. Father, I also want to pray for those in the room who they, they feel a call, they feel a, a desire to seek justice. And I pray for them right now. Would you give them courage to take that next step? When the world might say, ah, you don't really make a difference. I know you see something going on wrong, but just, just keep it to yourself. Someone else will take care of it. Oh God, would you give them the courage to seek justice with great humility, with great wisdom, for your glory and your praise, not their own, but oh God, would you give them the courage to take a step and pursue justice and see you work miracles. Father, thank you for your kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name.
Amen.